You are listening to the FDNY Pearl Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. 2019 marks the FDNY's 25th annual Second Chance Ceremony. At the ceremony, which is held each year during National EMS Week, patients who have survived cardiac arrest reunite with the rescuers who saved them. In this episode, we'll be hearing from the event founder and sponsor, Matt Pinchik, as well as the event host, FDMY Chief Medical Director, Dr. Glenna Seda. You're listening to the FDMY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chief of Staff, Elizabeth Cassio. Matt, welcome. Thank you. It's good to see you. Very happy to be here. For our listeners, we need to explain this relationship of who you are and what your involvement is with the FDNY, because you're not a member of the FDNY, right? Adopted, maybe. (laughs) Okay. So it starts with your father, Jack Pinchik, who was a hardware store proprietor by day and a jazz musician by night. In 1980, while leading his band, he suddenly collapsed. Can you walk us through what happened? Well, I wasn't there that day. My sister and mom were there. It was the opening of the Albee Square Mall. And my dad, who was a saxophone player and a jazz musician, had a 22-piece band at our house Mm -hmm. every Tuesday night. And anywhere they could get a gig, they would play. And so Mm -hmm. on that fateful day, and I think it was October 20th in 1980, he was leading the band at that time, and he suddenly collapsed. Uh, My family was obviously very devastated. And fortunately, apparently, there was a physician there who I thought would have been able to help out. I don't know what type of physician he was, what his specialty was. But after a few minutes, basically called it and and pronounced my father on the scene, uh, pronounced him dead. And um, subsequently, EMS arrived. It was a fateful day for us, Carl Tramontana and Ken Honig. Uh, Two paramedics I know. Two wonderful paramedics that were working together for their very first day. They uh, arrived on scene and... The doctor had basically said, no, it's, this is done. You know, we already, I already pronounced. And uh, the police got involved as well. And they were like, doc, this is, this is their job. Let the paramedics do their thing. And the doctor was a little bit uh, difficult. And mm. they were like, either you let the men do their job or maybe take a ride with us in the police car. That's what I was told. Really? It got to be pretty dramatic. Mm. But um, long and short, um, in those days, it was the precordial thump multiple right. times. Carl right. told me how it was crepitous and his chest had cracked a few times from the extreme work that they were doing. And But they got a pulse back between that and the advanced life support and the drugs. They were able to bring him back. 1980. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. And it gave our family a chance to be together. I can't thank them enough, EMTs and paramedics, both in the fire department and all over the world mm. for what they do. So how old were you at the time? I was just coming out of college. I went to Stony Brook at the time, and I was, I guess, 21, 22 in that time. And as you get this second chance with your father, what, what impact does that have on you, and how does it influence you know, the, the decisions you make going forward? You know, I never wanted to be in a position where I couldn't be ready to deal if, God forbid, there was a crisis. Mm. Um, needless to say, our family being given a second chance to to spend time together. For us, it was years. Right. My father survived a couple of years, actually, two plus years thereafter. But uh, it, it sent me into a tailspin of needing to become an EMT, you know, and mm-hmm. being ready. God forbid something happened. Ultimately, that's what did happen at our home. But um, uh, I was trained by Chief Pappas, who was a chief no in the New York way. City Fire Department. He taught a class at um, St. Vinny's Hospital at the I time, swore. which was my first class in, in 1982, ultimately. Um, And it's been a a whirlwind thereafter. I mean, how many times in the course of just everyday life, whether for my own family or for Mm -hmm. someone else, I've been able to be helpful. 
Are you still an EMT? Still an EMT. I've done about, I think, 13 or 14 full refreshers. I do that because since I'm not working as an EMT every day, um, I, I want to be 100%. So it's not a CME for me. It's a full refresher because, you know, you can't, you got to make sure you're 100%. You can't be 80 or 70%. Right. When do you um, practice as an EMT? Well, I was on a JetBlue flight a couple of weeks ago. We had a patient in insulin shock, needed glucose and oxygen. and mm-hmm. So I've had a I've had a couple of major calls on I, I travel back and forth from Florida. I have a I have a special needs child that in the winter time spends the winter in Florida, and I fly every week. So I'm a regular. I've had two emergencies in the last year. So oh, on the plane on, that yeah, you treated, mid-air, which I was involved with. Yeah, so very kind of nice to be able to help people. So you've stayed involved from when did you become an EMT? How long ago? So I became an EMT in '82. From '82 to '94, I needed a place to volunteer. And I met this gentleman who was an, a paramedic, actually, who asked me to join his group. It was called the Auxiliary Police Emergency Services Unit of the mm-hmm. New York City Police Department at the 7th Precinct. And during those years, we responded out of the 7th Precinct from basically from Brooklyn Battery up to 59th Street, handling every kind of call that there was. We were Hearst Tool certified. We had a Hearst Tool in the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, we handled medical calls, all types of emergencies. So, so how does this lead you now into your relationship with EMS, which started before the merger, when EMS was part of uh, health and hospitals. So my dad, after his event, his cardiac arrest and, and being revived, um, some months later, returning to work, uh, he wanted to do something for the gentleman and the folks that were uh, that saved his life. Mm. Um, and I, he went to the city at the time and said, you know, he wanted to give them a gift, a financial gift. It wasn't going to be tremendous, but it was something to say thank you to the families. So maybe they could go out with the families for dinner or just celebrate in some way. And at the time, it was HHC. And they basically said, this is their job. They can't accept a gift. That would right. be inappropriate. And so along the way, along with Chief Pappas and some other folks, they basically came up with a, a method by having a ceremony, they said, where we could get together. And that started on the Jackie Robinson Parkway at a little place called Duro's, which I don't think is around anymore. And it was the first ceremony. It was, it was basically a medal day for EMS. Okay. Uh, it was pretty wonderful. It was very uh, family-oriented. The kids were there for all the rescuers and, and the families. Uh, that's that's when the Jack Pinchick medal basically uh, started the award Ah, from the family interesting which is separate from the second chance ceremony which comes down the line second chance came later this medal now still exists today and carried through to some formalized medal days over the years pre-merger and then part of medal day now within the fdny in in june so it's one of the days that we really look forward to as a family to be with the um, FDNY medal recipients. Mm -hmm. It's a very beautiful ceremony. It is. People are recognized for their outstanding dedication to the FDNY and to the citizens and visitors of New York City at large. Well, we appreciate your partnership with us and your support. In 1994, the Certified First Responder Training Program begins. This was still pre-merger. And we decide that there's going to be a formalized second chance ceremony where we reunite the cardiac arrest survivors with the rescuers who saved their lives. And you get involved as the benefactor. The fact that you're including our family, we're happy to be the sponsor, but to be with all these other families and to see them lighting up, sometimes it's a child, even an infant that's been resuscitated with the help of an emergency medical dispatcher over the phone and then first responders continuing the care. It's really astonishing. It is. People don't really understand the importance of EMS. 
you know, the chain of survival, right. how significantly trained people are at every step until their family or someone they know yeah. is impacted. And then, of course, you, know, you meet these people at the second chance ceremony, and they're weeping. They're saying, you know, I just, I don't know what to say. And thank you for being part of this. And that's the real gift to, to see these families and the rescuers because it's not an easy job being an EMT or a paramedic, mm-hmm. as well as the officers. You know, everybody plays a role. Right. When the stories are being told, because each cardiac arrest incident is its own unique circumstance, and you're sitting there in the audience watching this unfold, the survivor is introduced. Then the rescuers and everybody who participated, like you said, could be the dispatcher gave instructions over the phone. It could be a uh, civilian trained in compressions only CPR initiates CPR when they also ask for somebody to call 911. Maybe the police who arrive first. Police officers, court officers, people from every walk of life have have been honored and part of this ceremony, which is it's inclusive, it's genuine. It's one of the nicest right. events. We do include everybody who touched that person's Absolutely. Uh, rescue attempt and s- ultimately success, right? And so now this is the first time that the rescuers are meeting the survivor. And you are a witness to this, not just the benefactor. Sometimes it's very tearful and brings me back to my dad. I think of him mm. and wishing that he could be here like yeah. to celebrate. And then there were moments where it was the gentleman who went to, I think it was Shea Stadium, mm-hmm. and had an MI sitting in his seat, got very excited. And then he returned to another game about a year later, and it happened again, and he was at the event for a second time, and he was like, I'm not going to the stadium anymore. <laughs> you know, so there were, there were times that there was some humor involved, but, right, but ultimately right. everybody that was there was um, so grateful mm-hmm. for the care rendered. And to be given the opportunity to say thank you. It's a very special event, and people that are lucky enough to go should always take that opportunity if they're invited. I agree, and I can't tell you how grateful I am for your support on this because it is one of the most favorite events of mine that we do during EMS Week. And just in general, of all the ceremonies, and we have a lot of ceremonies in the FDNY, this really is one of my favorites. We're very honored to be part of it. You know, we have the fire department. I guess there were about 90-plus agencies that provide EMS throughout New York City. Right. One of which was the Park Slope Volunteer Ambulance Corps, which I was a part of for many years until my little man came along and then determined that he was of special needs, so I had to focus on him a little bit more. But I had 16 years with Park Slope and responded to uh, countless calls. Mm -hmm. And that was a great basis for my foundation in EMS. There were times when I was at a job where people there'd be two, three ambulances and a fire truck and the police, and people would wonder, like, why do we need all these people? But when you're in a job and it's a cardiac arrest and advanced advanced life supports going on, there's there's movement issues, right. um, there's public safety issues, all hands on deck. So having more people, we have the greatest EMS service in the world, but it can never be fast enough when you're in cardiac arrest. That's right. The chain of survival is dependent on the response time. And early compressions, no doubt. Yeah. Even if it's just compressions. Even if it's just, right, which is why we have compressions only CPR now. Terrific. Because it really does make such a big difference. Mm -hmm. And um, it it makes the difference between surviving and not surviving. 100%. Matt, what does the future hold here? My hopes are that the second chance ceremony will run indefinitely. Mm. Um, Certainly our family will support it, and I will, and I plan on being around for a long time. (laughs) We're very grateful to you. Thank you for all that you do. My honor to bring these stories to you and help reunite the survivors. 
for the men and women who gave them a second chance. Mr. Delgado was down for a total of 19 minutes that day. His life was saved by his wife's quick actions and the many rescuers who quickly came to his aid. This is truly, remarkably, a second chance at life. Please come meet your rescuers. And with that, we'll turn to event MC and FDNY Chief Medical Director, Dr. Glenn Asena. Welcome back, Glenn. Thank you so much. Nice to be back. If you haven't been with us since the beginning of the program, scroll back to a previous episode where Dr. Aceda talks about his response on 9-11 as uh, medical oversight for EMS and uh, CFR. But today, we're going to pick up where we left off with Matt Pinchik and talk about the Second Chance Ceremony. You're the MC, but you're also the Chief Medical Officer for the Office of Medical Affairs and perform the QA, QI piece on really all pre-hospital care, but in particular what our focus is in this particular instance is cardiac arrest, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, as the Office of Medical Affairs, we're charged with providing medical oversight uh, really to the 911 system in New York City. So that includes not just our EMTs, paramedics, but also our certified first responders, our firefighters who respond on medical assignments. And really, medical oversight for the entire system, so even those EMTs and paramedics in the 911 system that come from what we call the voluntary hospital system. But in that role, part of what we need to look at is cardiac arrest survival and doing everything that we can to improve that. Right. Uh, of course, uh, we try to provide the highest level of pre-hospital care to all those that call 911, but in particular for our subject today, uh, we were interested in the cardiac arrest survival. Right. As of May 2018, we had 249 second chance ceremony participants, and we've had more people actually survive cardiac arrest since 1994 when we began this ceremony and 2018. But that's a really significant number. The FDNY members who responded to his side were not going to let Elvis leave the building without a pulse. Elvis, please come meet the empties, paramedics, and firefighters who gave you your second chance. What do you think about when you're up there and you're on this stage where these participants are out in the audience, they're about to meet the people who brought them back, and you're telling their story, their individual cardiac arrest incident. What's going through your mind? What, how do you feel about it? You know, it's such an exciting event, and it's really a highlight at any point, but particularly of EMS Week, which the Second Chance Ceremony corresponds with. I have the advantage of knowing who our guests are coming in, so I know their stories. Right. But to be able to present that at this ceremony and to see the survivors who really got the second chance reuniting with those that brought them back uh, really to life from a, a point of clinically not being alive. You know, they're, they're not breathing, their heart has stopped. And I think it's not just the, the great benefit for the, the survivor, but also for our first responders. Right. And oftentimes what happens in EMS and, and pre-hospital care is that we don't know the outcomes of patients. Right. And so to not only be able to bring them together, but to see how well they're doing is just, it's just heartwarming and, and really exciting. Right. Most of our listeners would not know that your roots are in the EMS, not just as an emergency physician, but you started as an EMT. That's correct. I actually uh, am from California originally, uh, San Francisco in particular, and I actually started similar to what the, the cadet program is here in New York City at the fire department. Mm. Uh, so my EMS background goes back as a provider 
first as an EMT and then uh, as a paramedic back to about 1982. Mm -hmm. And when I did my emergency medicine residency, becoming an EMS physician was just a perfect fit for me. Uh, And so I do have a a background on that. So it's doubly exciting to me because I've provided treatment to cardiac arrest victims, not only pre-hospitally, but at the hospitals as well. And and again, just bringing people together like that is just fantastic. Yeah, it's just very moving. Absolutely. One of my favorite events that we do. Right. Uh, And it wasn't, this ceremony wasn't always held during EMS week. It began back in 1994 as part of an extension of the Certified First Responder Training Program. This was all pre-merger, and that's how OMA really gets involved in this process, right? Absolutely, and, and interestingly, you know, the history of it, as you mentioned, from 94, when the CFR program began, where firefighters started to provide CPR and then automated external defibrillation, Part of the QAQI, Quality Assurance and Improvement, was trying to follow up on the patient outcomes to see if this was a benefit. And right. we certainly found that early CPR, early defibrillation brought patients back. And part of that QAI follow-up was to speak to these survivors. Right. And the survivors would say they were so thankful. And when we thought about having them meet their rescuers, they were very excited. And you're right, it did not coincide with EMS Week initially, but it just turned out that this event is a great fit for EMS Week. Right. And really one of the highlights. Right, because it's all about bringing awareness and recognition. Absolutely. Awareness to our mission and recognition to our our providers. So other than the QAQI piece, what is the rest of OMA's role in this event? We will select those survivors that we'd like to invite to the second chance ceremony. We can't invite all survivors, but we try to look at the stories and we try to pick those survivors that really have an impact and the reunion with their rescuers would be a a great piece to this. Now, interestingly, we do have some members that are very excited to come back, some survivors. Others are hesitant because they don't want to relive that day, which is... Absolutely understandable, and respect, right. we respect that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we do get children that go into cardiac arrest. I think one of the youngest survivors we had several years ago was about three months old. And that child did come back, and it was a great event. And I think it, it goes as far as someone in, near their 80s, late 70s, age-wise, it, that uh, was a, a second-chance survivor as well. We have survivors that come from all over the country mm-hmm. and even all over the world. Uh, they had an extended stay here, uh, not what they wanted to see and, and during their vacation. I'm sure you don't want to see a hospital, but they end up staying here and then going back to their respective homes. So the invitation is, is all over the country and, as I mentioned, sometimes all over the world. Also, the other half is getting the first responders, the rescuers, to come in. And it's not just the first responders. We've had civilians that we've invited because, you know, when cardiac arrest occurs, sudden cardiac arrest, if you're lucky enough, you may have someone in the civilian side that knows how to do CPR. So we have civilians that are invited. We also have police officers now from not only NYPD but Port Authority. So anyone who is involved in the save of this patient, uh, we have to track down to invite them. Do you have any stories looking back? that stand out in your mind as a favorite or that you thought were, oh my goodness, this is just unbelievable? I love them all. But if I were to pick, there was uh, years ago, the three-month-old that I mentioned Mm -hmm. had some cardiac issues to begin with that made her susceptible to having a a cardiac event, Mm -hmm. successfully resuscitated, had medical procedures at the hospital, and uh, she did great. The kids always kind of hit me. There was one child about two years ago who actually, I coached travel baseball for my son 
And we've played against his team, it turns out, not knowing this. And he actually had a, a, a cardiac event, was resuscitated, also had a medical procedure, and he was invited. He, unfortunately, couldn't make the ceremony because he had a test at school. But I remember his family, his parents came. It was touching to me as they brought his photo, and they were showing the photo to <laughs> I everyone. I remember that. that and was that was adorable. just fantastic. Uh, we also had a, a dancer, very young, felt very healthy, even, and then all of a sudden went into sudden cardiac arrest, mm -hmm. and she was a successful story. And she's actually been a great, almost a spokesperson for us, for the public, to say, hey, listen, everyone should try to learn CPR at the very least, right. know where your AEDs are, right. you know, because when everything fits in that chain of survival, it doubles your chance of survival from cardiac arrest, right. and that's our goal. In this particular case, you're talking about Ashley Newman? That's correct. She uh, was also the subject of one of our FDMY Pro films. That's great. So yeah. we told her story in a film. If you go to fdmypro.org, and subscribe to our magazine, you have access to those films as well, and it tells the whole story and why compressions only CPR is such an important skill for people to learn. And still we're overcoming or trying to overcome the messaging, right? People still think you have to do mouth to mouth right. when learning CPR. And interestingly, you know, our emergency medical dispatch, in the past we used to give instructions about the full CPR with the mouth to mouth and the compressions. But studies have shown that compressions-only CPR is a great advantage as well. So for the last decade or so, we've converted to that uh, compressions-only instruction to any civilian who may be calling 911 on behalf of a cardiac arrest victim. Uh, so we include our dispatchers as well in the second chance ceremony because they're all part of that chain of survival. Right. And that's the case with Ashley Newman. Yes, that's right. As a matter of fact. <laughs> that's right. Matter of fact, one of her dance partners who attended the ceremony as well was able to uh, tell us how she was able to perform CPR. Because ultimately, that's what saves lives, right, is the immediate right. reaction right. and calling 911, starting compressions. Even for us, we know that we are more likely to revive a, a witnessed arrest, witnessed meaning that it happens while we're there. Right. Absolutely. You know, we mentioned that this is a favorite event for both of us, and I think partly what makes it a favorite is how our members, EMTs, paramedics, first responders, officers, how they have this opportunity to have face-to-face -face contact with this patient that they brought back from the dead. It's really, it's that dramatic. How would you characterize that experience for our members? When we are able to invite our first responders, our EMTs, paramedics, our firefighters to this event, they are extremely delighted mm. to a point where first timers are always like, I've always wanted to get this invitation. This right. is great. Right. And then when they're at the event, oftentimes the survivors come kind of just at the beginning of this, uh, as the ceremony's uh, about to begin. Our members, as with every event, are told, be there at least, you know, an hour and a half, two hours before. So they're a little nervous as well because they don't know what to expect. But once they meet, they get introduced again to each other and the hugs start flying and the kisses start going on. And the I tears. Mean, oh, it is just, I think, one of the best days. Many people have told me from the rescuer's perspective that it's one of the best days and the highlights of their careers. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know, last year, Joey Rodriguez, who is one of our EMTs who died from World Trade Center-related right. illness, he had just retired, and it was because of his World Trade Center illness. It mm -hmm. had really become debilitating. He had an opportunity 
during his brief retirement to initiate CPR on one of our patients who ultimately becomes a survivor. It was last year's ceremony. And he had never been invited to the ceremony prior to retirement. And it was a highlight for him in a tremendous way, meaningful on a really deep level, right? Because here he is, he would have never retired had he not been as ill as he was, right? Uh, So that was very moving for all of us that he would be able to have that opportunity. Yes, I, I remember that event. Yeah, I think the patient he was able to save was at a car show, I believe. That's right. They're big car enthusiasts. That's right. That's right. And he assisted, again, being at the right place at the right time. Right. Really a fantastic save. It was a fantastic save. And as a matter of fact, his survivor uh, attended his funeral. And I guess that's partly what makes this a favorite event, right, is that there's this emotional attachment. And frequently, in order for us to function effectively in this field, we have to detach, right, right? right. particularly in the moment. Absolutely. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to effectively perform the skills that we need to do to save a life. Absolutely. So now, the emotions actually get turned on during this event. Right. Absolutely. And it becomes very personal, right? You, Absolutely. This is someone's mom. This is someone's child. Right. This survivor. This is someone's parent right. or sibling, Absolutely. significant other, right? Absolutely. We could just go on and on with Absolutely. what the relationships may be. And they're so deep. And I think probably what also happens at this event is because the survivor brings the people important in their lives with them, you get to see the impact that their presence now, their second chance has on the rest of the family and the extended family. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, you know, we are kind of trained to not emotionally get involved because otherwise there's so much sadness in what we do, unfortunately, that we couldn't go on to the next patient and provide the highest level of care that we expect. Right. Uh, but as you mentioned, you know, this year's ceremony, again, we had these special guests. Right. And so that was particularly uh, moving as well. Right. To be able to have, you know, their stories shared again. Right. And uh, just really added to uh, this fantastic event as it is already. Because this is the 25th year and a milestone anniversary, bringing back survivors from prior events, prior ceremonies, right. is a real highlight, and right. telling their stories as well. Absolutely. Uh, for example, our two-year-old, who we revive, is now an adult with her own two-year-old. I mean, what a touching story, right? Absolutely. You, you could, we Amazing. couldn't have written it. <laughs> Fact is stranger than fiction. Absolutely. <laughs> for our EMS providers, wherever they are in the world, how would you encourage them to maybe consider doing a similar event for themselves within their own systems? Again, first, I want to thank all our EMS providers because of what you do day in and day out. I'm really saving lives. I mean, you're making a difference. And we would like you to share in this great emotional event as well. So, you know, within your own systems, trying to first maybe even contacting the survivors, just to even at your EMS station, at a firehouse, even having a reunion there, I think that would go a long way to start. Right. Because we started out pretty small, initially as a quality assurance, quality improvement program, just to see how survivors were doing. Right. And that led to this great event. And I think that just by having even a small event to start, not only will you see the benefits of your work, but you'll be able to see how you've changed lives in the positive for your survivor. 
Well, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the FDMY Pro Podcast. I'm Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. For more training and information from our department's subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred and sixty-five days a year, and when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to fdnyfoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.